If you had told me that 10 years ago that there would be some pimple-faced college student would come up with a way to monetize friendships and become a billionaire 46 times over, uh, I would think you're crazy, but I would get on the bandwagon. I would find out how I could figure out how to be a part of monetizing friendships, being able to make money off of us giving away private information to, to some unknown computer, to some, some free thing out there called Facebook. But there's one thing that Mark realized about us, we should realize about ourselves that God made clear in the very beginning is that we were made in community for community, that we were made by God and God of all gods and the God of, uh, of heaven and earth and outer space and all points in between, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a community of three in one said that I am going to create mankind. I'm going to make him in my image. And a part of that image bearing of God is that we are made for community. Even whenever he made all of creation, he made Adam, he said, it is not good for you to be alone, that you are to be together, that you are to belong, that you are to be with some other people. But we live in a day where we connect through pixels instead of through people. We connect through machines instead of through conversations. Oh, there are conversations online, and I get it, and I'm not going to be antisocial of the social media network. I'm not going to be that in this series. I, in fact, what I want to do is I want to point out that the, the world out there and the social media out there has pointed out something about us that we need to realize has been there since the beginning of time. Social networking did not create social Social was created in a garden, in a perfect garden, in a perfect place called Eden, whenever God made us. Well, here's what we do, though, in this, in this day of advancement, in this day of, of isolation, in this day that I want to get alone and be alone, is what we do is we pull into our gated subdivisions, maybe, if you live in one of those. Nothing against that, but you simply do. You live there, or you pull into your subdivision with your POA regulations and how you're supposed to live and the privacy around the neighborhood, no soliciting, no political signs, no, all that kind of stuff. All, again, just to separate us a layer or two from, from other people. And so then we pull into our driveways, open up our garage doors with our automatic openers, pull into our garage, shutting the garage door behind us before getting out of the car, walking around the car, going in the house, going out on the back porch, only to sit there and enjoy the scenery of inside of our privacy fence. And then we take pictures of our feet and our food and we post it online so that we are looking social. I mean, how, how much sense does that make? I'm, I'm connecting with people, all right, on the outside, but yet our neighbors, we can hear them next door. And that's one of the things that bugs us. Instead of knowing our neighbors, instead of engaging our neighbors, and here's a problem. Now, you can just take that and put that in the social, into our workplaces, and you can put it into how we live out our lives in the gym, as we put earphones on and separate ourselves, or whatever the case may be. We forget that community is what we are made for. And Facebook is merely creating an avenue and monetizing it where we become a part of this society out there. But instead, in reality, we're isolating ourselves. And there's a danger in that. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says it like this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. And he breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolation is not the model in which we were created in. 
Pulling ourselves back and away from is not how God created us. But something about the gadgets that we have and the, and, the, and the instruments and the machines that we carry around us, they do tend to isolate us even more. And so we're going to be talking a lot about machinery and gadgets and computers and, and, and social media networking and so forth as we go into this series of messages and how it is a reflection of a deep longing and desire of our life. But yet somebody over here has created an app for that has created an avenue for that. But yet all along, we can do it and we can do it better than social media can create an app for. We can do it better and we can, in fact, we can do it in a life-changing way. We're tethered to our machines. In fact, how many of y'all today, when I read scripture, I wonder, will actually not get this archaic, heavy leather bound book out and open it up and read. In fact, if you're going to be one like me, I kind of a little old fashioned, but I kind of like it that way when it comes to, when it comes to this, how many of y'all will open up a Bible and read it with me? Raise it up and raise your Bible up. If you have one, you can't say you're, you're going to do Okay, good. A good, yeah, maybe half of y'all. All right. we'll do that. Now, how many of y'all will do it in the new tech way? Okay. You will not, you will not turn, but you will scroll open. Okay. All right, good. A, a number of y'all will get your phones out or whatever. And then how many of y'all are just lazy and you're going to look at it on the screen? Raise your hand. All right. Shame, lazies. We use our phones for everything now. In fact, we don't even call them cell phones anymore. They're just phones, okay? We just carry them with us. It's everything. It's got everything in it. I don't, listen, this is sad. I know it's true of you, though. I don't know my wife's phone number. I don't know my kids' phone numbers. How many of y'all are like that? Raise your hand. All right, you, you're just you're just in there, okay? Uh, and if I lose that, I lose them. Um, but you know, we use our phones for everything. AT and T uh, did a study, and they asked, "What do you?" I don't know why they AT and T asked this study about people who go to church. What do you use your phones for in church? Okay, fifty percent of look up scriptures. Thumbs up to that. take notes. Thumbs up to that. Notice the 25% are accessing their social media and or texting. All right. Now, if you're quoting me in social media, that's fine. All right. Hashtag Mike McDaniel's really cool or something like that. Uh, but, but other than that, I don't encourage that. But we do encourage social media interaction. We're a church that's a social media friendly church. You can break out your phones and, and we're not going to, there's a judgment free zone on that, on that end. But I want us to take a survey today and so break out your phones right now. We're going to practice it right now. Um, we're going to take a survey by, via text. We've done this before. So if you're new to this, uh, then just follow along, watch the person next to you, and you'll figure it out. All right. Uh, you're going to text a message to this number, 22333. All right. And then text in the message line down there, Grace Bar, GPCNWA. All right. GPCNWA. Send it. You're going to get back. Uh, and basically, you're enrolling to be a part of this text. Okay. You're going to get back a notification. And when you get that notification back, then you're going to answer this question, okay? This is the question. Throw it up there. All right? How often each day do you look at Facebook? All right? Now, if you put a zero in there, that means you probably don't have Facebook. 
or you're fasting from Facebook, all right? So just think about it. If you don't have Facebook, then put a zero, put letter A, letter A is what you're going to put, okay? Letter B, if you look at it one to five times, C, six to 10 times, and D, if it's 10 or more, and if you have no clue, you're in the 10 uh, or more category, you're just constantly on it. Now, listen, I know that there's different opinions on it. I know sometimes Facebook is a distractor at the home and the kitchen table, and we just saw that uh, spoken word there, and it's, it's so true how we just have become, again, more about pixels than we are about people. And that's a really dangerous mode of operation. But I have found the Facebook to be pretty helpful. We found, oh, by the way, here's the, here's the study that's going on right now. All right. So it's filling up, filling up, filling up. And this is both services combined. Uh, some look at about five or so times a day. And there's uh, 80 out there that uh, don't even have Facebook. We're going to keep this going throughout the day and uh, or throughout the service. And then we'll post it on Facebook later on. So if you don't have Facebook, you'll not know. Uh, the answers to this test. All right. But hey, listen, Facebook has some advantages to it. I think I, I, I found, we have found our, our dentist, our TV repairman. And our, our, I ask everybody on Facebook, my friends, uh, what, what's, what's the best coffee maker out there? And so I got all my answers. Those are the three things that we shop for uh, online. This morning, this morning, before I even came this morning, about five o'clock, I'm in a, in a conversation with a church planner in West Africa who probably, well, lives definitely at the poverty level, but he has Facebook. And we're in a conversation about churches in West Africa on Facebook this morning. So you can have groups. In fact, we have two small groups, communitas groups, that meet live online on Facebook, and they're considered a part of our communitas groups, and they're just that virtual community. Now, I think it's always better when you can be together, but there are times that, again, Facebook can can bring some, some value to it. Now, there are those who don't like Facebook. Uh, I'll quote from George Clooney, and maybe some of y'all would agree with this. Uh, I'd rather have a rectal examination on live TV by a fellow with cold hands than to have a Facebook page. So, anybody agree with George on that one? All right. You probably don't have Facebook. Uh, We want Facebook because we like friendships. We like likes. We like the affirmation that we get from it. We like the dopamine drip whenever we posted a funny photo of a cat and our friends like it. Uh, We like it whenever we have a serious prayer need and we don't know where to go, but we know we have Facebook and we can get it out as fast as we can. It's incredible the the amount of uh, information that we can leverage very quickly. Facebook says something about us. In this series of messages again, living social, we are going to talk about what Facebook says about us, what Twitter says about us, that really when you go back to scripture, we were, we were social before social networking. And how does that come together? And here's what, here's what Facebook has monetized and figured out. Life principle number two, we long to belong and we long to be liked. We long when somebody wants to be our friend. Oh, I did, I've lost contact with that person since high school. That's an old friend of mine. I haven't seen them in years. We long to be long. It's a new friend from work, from school, from church. I, I, I want to connect with them. We long to belong, but we also long to be liked. 
Again, the power of an emoji, the power of a, of a like, of an affirmation. It has incredible, uh, intoxicating at times power over some. I had one person get upset with me because I liked something of theirs, but I didn't comment on it, believe it or not. All right? There's a lot of emotions tied up when it comes to this whole Facebook thing and this whole social media thing. We're going to do a Bible study on a phrase that's in Scripture that um, is used 55 times. Now, before we go there, I want us to think about this kind of this this concept here because there's lots of different ways you can study the Bible. You can study it uh, book by book. Just look at over, do a book overview, and I've done that before. You can study it chapter by chapter. Do an overview of a chapter. You can do it verse by verse. That was the way I was trained. It's the way I know the best. It's typically the way that I would do it on a normal day. Uh, you can even do it word by word. You can go down and study the words. There's about 12 different identified ways you can get in that are effective ways to studying the Bible. Others are character studies, topical studies. Those are all ways. We're going to do what's called a thematic study. And we're going to take a phrase. Now, you can take different phrases. You can lock in on a phrase that you see and say, I want to study every time that phrase is used in the Bible. Somebody, somebody did a, a study one time on the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord. They, they, looked, they researched it. There's 200 times that the hand, of, 210 times exactly, that the hand of the Lord, that phrase is translated in Scripture. So they wanted to study the hand of the Lord another time. Somebody wanted to study, seek me. And from Job to Romans, it's used in 16 different, no, 16 times in 15 verses that seek me. And just understanding that phrase. The phrase we're going to lock in on is one another. One another. 55 times. For the next several weeks, we're going to unpack what it means to do, listen, one another's. And you need to be asking yourself the question, how good am I? at one another's. 55 times. It's something you've got to get your arms around. You've got to embrace because you can't study the gospels and you can't study the narratives or you can't study uh, the epistles that you don't come across it. You can't study Matthew. You, oh, excuse me. You can't study uh, Matthew. You can't study Jesus's words. You can't study John's words. You can't study Paul and Peter's words without coming across the phrase one another, one another. And there's always something attached to the one another. That, that, that wild card, that X factor out there. So what we're going to do is we're going to study as many of the one another's as we can and see how we're called to live with one another, live socially with one another, how we are called to do that. It's an action statement. Every time you'll read one another, you'll find it is an action statement. We are called to do something. And I will say this, every time you'll find it, it's called to do something in a relationship. In a relationship. So let me ask you again, how are you at your one another's? Whenever you look at one another's, I want to give a definition for it, and I'll try to review it each week, but let's just lay it out there this week. When you talk about one another's, you're pointing to mutuality, honoring, edifying relationships. 
Mutualities. Each one of these words means something, okay? Mutuality in the sense that there's a mutual relationship with us, okay? I am with you and you are with me and we are one. It's not me over you or you're a subordinate to me or, or I'm a subordinate to you. If there's going to be, it's, that's why it can be really difficult to have and do one another's with your direct report. That's why CEOs, bosses, team leaders, it can be very lonely at the top. I have not met, and I've met with a lot of team leaders, a lot of CEOs in my lifetime, whether it's a big company or a small company, where they don't tell me that it's not lonely. People in ministry, it's lonely at the top. And it doesn't mean that in an arrogant kind of way. It is lonely in the sense that it's hard to find people that you can have that mutuality with, okay? Second word, there is honoring. Is the relationship where both feel valued. That word honor means valued. I feel like that person really loves me, really cares for me, really is seeking the best for me, and I am for them. Is it honoring? Is it also edifying? Are you stronger and better because of that relationship? Or, or note your relationships Do I carry the relationship or do they carry the relationship or do I feel a subtraction because of that relationship? That could be a marriage relationship. Think about it. How can it be edifying? Relationship, that word substitute friendship. What is friendship? A little boy was asked uh, to, to define what friendship was and he said it's two friends in a ship. It's not bad if, as long as the ship, as long as they're rowing in the same direction. So whatever that may be, let's understand one another is this mutual, honoring, edifying relationship where I'm better, you're better, I care for you, you care for me, and we are one, and we are working at this together, okay? How are you doing in your one another's? How are you doing in your social networking? We're going to look at the number one, one another, okay? Just because there's 55 doesn't mean there's 55 unique individual one another's. There's a number of them that are, that, are, are, that are repeats. One of the repeats is to greet one another with a holy kiss. Anybody get kissed on your way into the building today? Okay, we didn't do that. Good. Uh, so that's one of those that we'll have to figure that one out, all right? But literally, it's repeated in many of the books, okay? We're, but one of the ones that we're going to look at, the one we're going to look at today, is that we're told to love one another. To love one another. It's the number one of all the one another's. It's the number one one another. In fact, you'll see it again and again in this passage. Take your Bibles and look at First John chapter 4. Follow along as I read. Now, because I'm not going to come back and hit every one of these verses, I'm going to try to point out key things. And again, if you're like me, if you're like me, I would suggest carrying your Bible with you, and you can mark as you go, okay? Um, So let's go. Verse 7, chapter uh, 4, 1 John. Beloved. Key phrase. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Let us love one another. The first of 14 times in the New Testament, we're going to see it three other, or two other times in this before we're finished. For love is from God, and whoever loves is born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
In this, the proof, the proof is in the pudding. The love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his son. Now, this is going to be mentioned three times. Underscore them as we get to them. God sent his only son into the world so that, here's the proof, we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent, and there's the second time, and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, stand in our place, pay the price for our sins is what he's trying to say there. Verse 11, beloved. You see that word? We just saw it in verse 7. See it again in verse 11. If God so loved us, we, also, we ought also to love one another the second time it's used. No one has ever seen God if we love one another the third time. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide. Now, by the way, we're going to see abide, 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 abide again and again and again. You'll notice it as well as we read through here. In him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son. There again, very key phrase to be the Savior of the world and whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. There it is again. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so, also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. I want to ask you to question your love relationship right now. Do you have fear in your love? Because that's not what love is. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to, uh, has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hate my brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love, love, love. I, don't, I, I should have counted before I got, got in here today. How many times love is used in that passage? I pointed out three different times it tells us to love one another. So here's a question I want us to answer today or try to. How do I relate? Because we're really good at relating online. How do I relate face-to-face in a Facebook world? How do I relate with people and not pixels? How do I have genuine, deep, authentic relationships instead of a propped-up, photoshopped image that I want to cast, that I want everyone to see, that I want everyone to measure me by? I think there's two rules for optimum relating with one another's, okay? One, you need to define your status, That's important whenever you set up your Facebook account. If you don't have one, you don't want one. I had several people tell me on the way out that they are not opening a Facebook account. 
You don't have to open it to come to this series. You don't have to open Twitter next week either. But the point is, is that we're going to learn as, as we go through here. But you'll be asked certain statuses. Here's, our, here's my, uh, my page. If I open it up, you can see I can get a work status and places where I've lived status and contact status. And then you can choose your relationship status. And there's like 11 different options up there. You could go figure and one of them's even, it's complicated. And so you figure out your status and you define it. Well, I want to say this, in this world that which we live, and we're called to live socially, we need to find our status. Notice what, what John did. In his, in his defining of a status and his calling out to his, his church, you know, I don't know who he's, to, he's writing to exactly here, but he's writing to his, his brothers, his believers, his, 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 his fellow laborers in Christ. We know at the end of John's life, he's in Ephesus and he's writing a lot of his letters and he's writing the gospel and it's kind of the end of his life. He's writing to the church of Ephesus and Laodicea and all those churches in Revelation. So he kind of becomes this regional pastor of pastors. And how does he address them? He addresses them, you can see it in verse 7, beloved. You're loved. You're my beloved. It, It wasn't just, hey, dude, hey, man. It was beloved. I know we don't go around doing that today. And well, I guess we could take it up if we want to, but it'd be a little awkward. You go to work tomorrow and say, hey, boss, beloved, you know, <laughs> I think you're a little funny, but uh, you know, whatever the case may be, we, the reality is that, that John was defining them, defining the relationship. He uses the Greek word, the root word there, uh, agape uh, toss is actually the whole word. Agape is the root word. And this, this idea of agape love is a steady, never-ending, it's, a, it's a, the term of, of deep relationship, of a deep love, of a deep belonging. John will use it six other times in this one letter. Eight times total in all three of his letters. Now, why do I point that out? It's because he was giving definition to who they were. You're beloved. I love you. I believe in you. I'm connected to you and we are connected together. And that connection comes through God. What's your definition? What's your, who are you? This word of being beloved, it's a big deal. Don't skip over that. He uses it twice in this one passage alone. Even when Jesus, if you remember, God the Father is in heaven and he's looking down on God the Son being baptized. And as he's baptized, what does Jesus, what does God the Father say in Mark chapter 1 verse 11? He says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He identifies, you're mine and I'm yours and we're, this is a built, a relationship built on Love. Now, here's what I want you to say. My mind, my, I thought we were talking about living social and relationships and all that kind of stuff. Here, here's what I want us to get, because this is most important before any of the rest of the series of messages. It's when you see the value of our relationships. Now, when you think about relationships, I think about you and me in a relationship. One line, straight across to each other, okay? However dark that line is, dotted that line is, clear that line is, we have a relationship, Okay? But I want to say this, what he's calling us to here is not a horizontal relationship, but a vertical relationship. What connected John to them was that John was connected to God and they were connected to God. That's what brought them together. That's what made them beloved. 
They were connected to God the Father. He was connected to God the Father. There's a vertical relationship before there's a horizontal relationship. And let me tell you this. Your relationships on this earth will be much sweeter, kinder, more fulfilling, more complete when the vertical relationship is there before the horizontal relationship. You will have this, but you must first have this. Think about it. What happens? Well, when we realized that I'm loved by God. That's a part of my definition, okay? When you're defining yourself, what am I? What am I? Who am I? I'm, I am loved by God. That's a part of my definition, if you will, okay? There's a slide for that, guys, if you can go there, because we're going to look at verse 19, and we need to see this. Verse 19 says this, um, uh, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Think about it like this. Here's your box of love. Now, some of your boxes of love are like this, and some of your boxes of love are like this. And if you grew up in a home where love was conditional, or you were bailed on, or you were neglected, or there was abuse, your box gets smaller and smaller. We love because he first loved us. Enter God. Enter Jesus into your life. Again, vertical relationship before we talk about horizontal relationships. All of a sudden, I have a better understanding of what love looks like. All of a sudden, I understand what forgiveness looks like. All of a sudden, now I can give more of myself and not expect. I can love unconditionally. Forgiveness, take that that for, for example. I now can forgive more because I have been forgiven so much. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, he, he brings this up. If we, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he, listen, my idea, my box of forgiveness grows because God fills that box, because I'm a part of the beloved, because he's connected me and he connects me to you. I saw something on the news just this past Friday night. I had Tim go online and grab it, and I want to show you a story between a, a cop who was a little corrupt, a lot corrupt. We see a lot of hatred and anger in our society today. We see a lot of corruption out there today. We've heard of Ferguson, Missouri. We've heard of Baltimore. We've heard of all that. They're not all bad cops. A lot of great ones. And then you got a bad one that just spoils the image of so many. Here's a story, though of when God enters into a relationship, how it changes everything. Watch it. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. 
my only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. I, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this, we'll set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys in the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. When you're defined by the beloved, that's a beautiful thing. Another thing is I'm inhabited by God. God's with me. That's what enables them to forgive and them to love and them to get past it. And again, I don't have time to go back and read all of this, but just look from verse 12 all the way through verse 16. God abides. We abide. Um, uh, God abides in him. Uh, whoever abides in love, in God, God abides. There's an abiding element. God taking up residence with us. What's, what's that mean? What's that makes? Listen, I'm able to be socially connected with you and love you well because I am loved by God. Therefore, I'm able to love you with depths of love and forgiveness that I wouldn't normally have because I've experienced God's love. Because He's inhabiting me. Because He defines who I am. Define your status. I am beloved by God. Then let your status define you. Whatever you are, whomever you are, hopefully you're loved by God. Hopefully you can say that. And by the way, verse 15, I cannot skip over this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God abides in him. That's what should define you. Number two, we're going to have that optimum relationships. Don't just request a friend, be a friend. Notice what he said. He said, beloved, beloved, that's who you are. That's your definition. Loved by God, loved by others. You're able to love others. Beloved, let us love one another. Sounds sweet. There's even a cute, cute, 
Christian song to that. But the reality is, do I have one meaningful, mutual, honoring, edifying relationship that is really making me better and making them better? That's really lifting each other up and valuing each other? Do I have that? It'll make the difference. A study was done by Baylor University asking the question, why do people commit suicide? What they did is they went and they studied the letters that the people who committed suicide wrote. And they looked for common denominators. One was unlovability. Two was helplessness. I'm in over my head. There's no way I can get out of this. Three, poor distress tolerance. I can't stand the way I feel. Perceived burdensomeness. Everyone would be better off with me dead. But the study also found that the greatest prevention of a person's suicide is if they had one meaningful friend. One friend who was mutual, who was honoring, giving value to them. One who would say, listen, I can't live without you. I need you and you need me. We need each other. The beauty of a friendship, of us loving one another, that's what we're called to do. 14 of the 55 times. You can read it from Jesus, John, uh, Paul, and Peter. Again and again, we are told to love one another. It was Facebook that made friend a verb. I friended you. You friended me. That's a verb. We created this and love one another. I want you to see all the times in Scripture that love one another is in there. Take a photo of it. Write the verses down. Whatever case may be, study them this week. Let this be something that penetrates you. And you ask the question, am I good at loving others? Jesus said it like this. New commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also, Jesus set the standard, that you love one another. Paul wrote it. If you want to increase in anything, in 1 Thessalonians, he said increase and abound in love. Paul, uh, Peter said it like this, fervently love one another from your heart, not from your head, from your heart, fervently get into that action mode of loving one another, being that friend who makes a difference, who helps people see life differently because you have loved them, sees that their life is worth living because you have loved them. I can love others because I can first count the fact that I have been loved by God, verse 19. I'm able to love because I've been loved. And and, and not to love is a disgrace to the very love of God. Mark Zuckerberg was was criticized for um, for an invention of Facebook. They called it an addiction creator. And... um, he was speaking to Stanford University and he asked the question basically. He said, Is it, would it be the, would, would, you wouldn't say that you're addicted to your glasses because you wear them every day? That was the kind of the question he was getting at. He was trying to say that Facebook is like glasses. You see the world through Facebook. And that's true. A lot of people get their news, see live friendships are through Facebook. Listen, I don't want Facebook to be your glasses. I want this book to be the glasses. That we are looking at life. We're doing life well. And what does life well look like? What does living socially well look like? Is whenever we do one another's well. 
I'll close with this story of my own life. About nine months ago, I don't know now, I went through the deepest, darkest part of my own life, my own life in ministry. And um, I, met, I met another guy named Mike. He became a friend of mine, counselor, friend, whatever you want to call him, both. And um, he asked me a question that I'm going to ask you every, every week this week. So this series has been about nine months in the making of my own heart and life. He asked me this question, and as soon as he asked the question, I knew where he was getting it from. It was profound, but it was simple. And I had to say, what do you mean? That just gave me more time to think of an answer. He said this, who do you do one another's with? What do you mean? One another what? Who do you do one another's with? And it reminded, he took me right back to, he said, the 55 one another's in scripture, who do you do one another's with? And it made, I got thinking. He goes on and clarifies. Because the Bible, and we're going to read a lot of them, it's going to talk about pray for one another. Who do you pray for? Who's praying for you? Confess your sins one to another. Who are you so close with that, that you are willing to confess your deepest, darkest sin and who's willing to confess it to you. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. Forgive. If you're going to forgive somebody, you have to be close enough in their life for them to offend you. Who is close enough in your life that you're willing to forgive? Think about it. Oh, then my spouse. No, he wouldn't accept that as an answer. Who in your life? Because it should be your spouse, but beyond. Who in your life do you do one another's with? You know, what we can do around here is we can try to create pockets. We can try to create environments. Grace Point alone, we have North Point new membership class this weekend. You can come and learn about what it means to be a member of Grace Point and how you can get connected and all that kind of stuff. That's all, all we're going to try to do is create environments. You can talk about Communitas groups and how you can be connected in a Communitas group and how that's valuable for you. And we're going to try to do that uh, this weekend as well. And you can learn all that kind of stuff. But if you are like we read in Proverbs 18.1, isolate yourself, you will never do one another's well. And I haven't met a person yet, myself included, who when life collapses on you, that you don't need one another. We all need people in our life who will live in mutuality with us, who we can honor and they can honor, who, who we, can, we can edify and they can edify, who we can be in a friendship, relationship with. I want to challenge you this week to do some things that we do on Facebook every day, almost unconsciously, but I don't want you to do it on Facebook. I want you to do it face-to-face. Throw these up on the screen. I want you to like someone this week. I want you to tell someone in your life, verbally or in written form, this is what I like about you. I want you to comment to someone. Write them. Yes, I know it. It's archaic, but if you can figure out how to do this, get a pen, do that, and write it. Write them a note, meaningful note to say something. Share. Share something from your life with someone. It's dark, ugly, or beautiful. Message someone. Give a message from this message to someone. Join a group, Communitas group. You're going to hear about one that's coming up this week. If you're not a part of one, be a part of one. 
An event, go to an event or better yet, invite an event to happen in your real world, not virtual world. Send a friend request. And what I mean by that, I mean go out of your way to find somebody on your job, on your team, in your school, who you know they need a friend and you go be the one another in their life in a very meaningful way. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? If you don't know Jesus today, that's where you start because that will give you the vertical relationship so that you can live well in the horizontal. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you and we recognize that you are beautiful and awesome in who you are as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And we invite you in to this place at this moment in this hour. And I pray that you will call each of us to do one another's well with one another. Help us this week. If we don't do anything else but this week, help us to love one another well. But Lord, first of all, help us to experience your love and to know your love through Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?